Hi, and welcome back to the Voice First Roundtable, episode 13 for June 2018. My name is Bradley Metrock. I'm CEO of a company called Score Publishing based in Nashville, Tennessee. Our sponsor for the Voice First Roundtable, as well as this week in voice, is St. Louis, Missouri-based Voice XP. As you've heard me talk about on this show many times at this point, Voice XP is a fantastic developer of voice experiences, Alexa skills, Google Home Actions, whatever it is that you need. In this new era of voice technology, voice computing, if you are looking at this technology and wondering how on earth you can get started, or your organization is looking at voice technology and wondering how on earth can we get started, Voice XP and Bob Stolzberg, Bonnie Snyder, Mark Tucker, their whole crew, they have helped big brands navigate these waters before, TiVo, CenturyLink, several others. They've helped small organizations navigate these waters before, and they're ready to help you as well. I encourage you to reach out to them. You'll be glad that you did. Our guest on the Voice First Roundtable today is a very special guest. I'm super excited about this show and talking about her work. Let's welcome Melissa Campbell of the Campaign for a Commercial-Free Childhood. Melissa, say hello. Uh, hi, Bradley, and all. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here today. Melissa, we appreciate you joining us. So you are Communications Manager for CCFC. Tell us a little bit about what you do for the Campaign for, for a Commercial-Free Childhood and what CCFC does for the world. Sure. Um, so CCFC, uh, we've been around since the early 2000s, um, I think 16 years now, and I've been with the organization for a couple of years. Um, and we educate the public about the impact of commercialism on kids' well-being. And we also advocate for the end of child-targeted marketing, uh, because often the impacts of commercialism on kids' well-being are negative. Um, and as far as, uh, you know, the sort of intersection with your work and your expertise, um, the number one way that marketers reach kids now is through the internet. Um, we typically say through screens, but as you, you know, suggest, um, we're moving away from screen-based technologies and into other kinds of technologies um, that often still have the same sort of implications for kids. So a lot of what I do is helping us strategize around, you know, how do we talk about these issues that are often confusing? How do we, you know, alert people to the risks without making them feel panicked or guilty? How do we provide like reasonable information about the impact of stuff like this on kids without, you know, in an effective and meaningful way. That's great. And a bit of a disclaimer here at the top of the show. So my father has been a child advocate for many years now, and I'm well aware of the type of work that he does and what y'all do. And he knows you very well and you know him well. I'm not going to be any easier on you as a result of that. <laughs> Um, and, uh, but I feel like I need to say that at the top, uh, my wife and I have a child, a six year old. So we're very cognizant of the sorts of issues and, and the great work that you do, you collectively, the CCFC does and, and other people like you just to think about things that other people aren't thinking about and to protect children, um, and have a bias toward protecting children first rather than, um, other things. And so, uh, uh, so I just wanted to mention that right off the top and sort of provide that disclaimer. And I feel like I'm a good person for talking to you about your article that you wrote, which we'll get into in a, in a second, because while all of those things I just said are true, 
I also have a deep passion and enthusiasm for voice technology. The more I've discovered about it, uh, the more interested I get. My business is heavily centered around it, uh, and we do a lot with it. And so uh, I feel like I can be fairly even keeled here in sort of evaluating the concerns that y'all have and sort of walking through those with you and asking you about, about them. So I wanted to say that right off the top. Your article is called Parents Stay Away from Amazon's Echo Dot Kids. And it was published in May. We're going to link to it in the show notes and we'll link to it on the Voice First FM site for uh, the Voice First Roundtable. So that will be available. Basically, correct me if I'm wrong, the premise of this article is that Amazon's Echo Dot Kids, which is a, a specific product in the Echo um, line of hardware that Amazon has rolled out oriented towards children, um, that the benefits if, of that device, if any, are vastly outweighed by the negative impacts that that technology has on kids, as well as the way that Amazon has positioned the device itself. Would you agree with that? Um, yes, I definitely would agree with that. And I would just to even get a little bit more specific, say that the benefits to Amazon for a project like a product like this are huge. Um, they're gigantic. And the benefits to families are very small. And the risks are, you know, if you're, lo if you're looking just at a family considering Echo Dot, you know, the risks to the child definitely outweigh the benefits of having that device. But when you kind of zoom out the benefit of Amazon, making sure that a family has that device is huge. It always both of those. My entire view of this technology sits on top of a core philosophy that these devices, uh, the smart speakers, whether it's Amazon's or Google Home or the Apple HomePod or even stuff that Samsung's rolling out or, or Mycroft or Alibaba, all of these devices are the next generation of computers as opposed to a gimmick, a toy, a fad, uh, something that'll be here today, gone tomorrow. And from that perspective, you know, one step removed from that perspective is the belief that if children don't have some exposure to these devices, and whether it's the Echo Dot Kids or not, the specific product, um, or whether it's a different one, um, you could have that conversation. But if, if kids don't have some exposure to this product, um, you know, these voice assistant powered smart speakers, then they're going to fall behind because just like with any computer, if, they don't, if kids don't have computers, they're going to fall behind. If they don't have access to resources, they're going to fall behind. I don't think your article really comes from that vantage point. Is that something that you have thought about? Do you agree with that mentality at all? Um, do you agree with it somewhat? Um, share with me your thoughts as you just hear me sort of walk through that train of, train of thinking, if you agree with it at all uh, or not at all. Yeah, definitely. Um, there are parts of it that I find very compelling. Um, the idea that voice technology is like the computing of the future, that is something that, you know, after hearing you say it does seem clear to me. Um, and actually is, I think, clear in the work that we're doing too, because we are always talking about voice technology and voice-based um, voice technologies that target kids specifically. Um, so yeah, I would say we're in agreement that that's definitely the future. I think where we diverge a little bit is um, in two ways. The first is the idea that kids need 
exposure to technologies like this early. Um, there's actually not much research showing that kids who get introduced to tech later um, are slower to adopt. Uh, and there's not, like, it seems like a sort of common sense thing, right? Like learn it early, get better at it. But especially the way that technology is designed now, if you're just a user of technology, as most people are, most people are not tech developers, most people are not building products. So if you're just thinking of kids as consumers of technology, uh, they're actually, they don't need that early adoption. Like you can delay it by a few years. You can wait until kids are like a teenager before they get like their own like pocket device and maybe like a little bit younger before they get a computer. So that's, I think, one place I would diverge. And then the other is I hear, you know, when we talk about voice technology as the future, voice technology is what powers corporate commercial platforms. So that's a little bit different than... So there's like the conversation about the technology itself, and then there's the conversation about the voice technology through the Amazon Echo kids or through the Google Home or whatever it is. You know, we have this voice technology and it's being deployed by these big corporations in ways that are not super clear to the end user and where the impacts on kids' development are not clear, but where you know, you ask, is this an entertainment device or is this the future of computing? I think it's both. Voice technology is the future. Amazon Echo is an entertainment and shopping device. And so I would love to talk about and think about how voice technologies will change the world while also like being mindful that like technology isn't neutral in a way that we often like want it to be. And where there's some cases where voice technology could be really wonderful and beneficial. There's other places where it's not so great. And that's less about the technology and more about the packaging that it's wrapped in. So about the Amazon Echo Dot Kids device, I can see this either way. And I saw this coming from a mile away when I saw that first graphic of the device itself with the different candy colored exterior. <laughs> you know, it's, uh, you can it's just envision an Amazon marketer saying, well, what else would we do? You know, I mean, because I will say, you know, and maybe you're aware of this or maybe you aren't, Amazon has been criticized by some folks in different walks of life for having this um, black cylinder that I have called the Tower of Death before sitting there, you know, the original Generation Echo. Oh, uh, yes. Very HAL 9000. <laughs> Yes, exactly. Yes, and and you've got this uh, black cylinder, you know, sitting in your colorful, you know, living room or whatever. And they've softened that image as a result of that. The second generation Echo devices, you can clearly tell they've moved away from that. Um, and so, in, if an Amazon marketer were sitting here, they'd say, "Well, of course, it's going to be candy colored because we've been sort of walking away from the original product design." But also, it does sort of smack of a, a little bit of, it doesn't 100% sit right. <laughs> uh, and, and that leads me to my question for you. Um, and it's about the branded content that's in the device. So the device is a little bit more, actually, it's a lot more than a normal Echo Dot. It's $79.99, I think, MSRP versus $49.99 MSRP for a normal one. And I think it's to be assumed that it's because of the branded content like Nickelodeon and some of these other brands. And this is something you specifically call out among several other things in your piece um, as a negative, you know, that, that these brands don't need to be having access to kids. And you call out the verbiage that the brands themselves use to describe the fact that they're in this device. And I want to ask you the question, 
you know, I, I agree with that standpoint to, to some degree, but I also think about the reverse. If we created a device for children and said, okay, we're not going to have Nickelodeon, we're not going to have Daniel Tiger or, or, or whoever, you know, different brands trying to get in front of kids. And instead, we're going to have content provided by whoever, you know, literally anybody else can, can provide content. I, I guess I view Nickelodeon and, and other branded content like that as, the, as having a positive to it of being sanitized, um, of being predictable and consistent. Um, and you can make the argument, well, yeah, it's predictable and consistent and I don't like it, but at least it's Amazon attempting to work with companies that are known for not being, you know, you're not going to have some curse word come out of left field. You're not going to have some reference come out of left field. that's going to offend everybody. What, what is your argument to that? Do you, do you think that, um, you know, branded content from Nickelodeon and other companies is to be avoided at all costs? Do you see any value whatsoever in the argument I'm making, or do you feel like their presence in the Amazon Echo Dot Kids is atrocious and and by itself a reason to avoid the device? Uh, great, great question. So um, you started this question by saying, you know, if we have this device for kids and we don't put branded content on it, you know, what goes on it? Um, and I think that is a I think that's such a good question because the assumption in that is that kids have or need these devices, which kind of harkens back to what I was saying earlier. So like if voice computing is the future, like why does voice computing need to look like a branded content playground? Like what are other interesting ways to use voice computing to, you know, actually improve kids' lives? And I definitely hear you on Nickelodeon content being predictable, um, the word that Amazon uses in their press materials is safe. Um, stuff like this often gets referred to as kids safe, uh, which on the surface sounds great. Um, as you say, parents know what they're getting. Parents trust these brands. But the fact is that kids don't need around-the-clock access in their bedrooms to branded content. And I worry that this conversation, not in this specific conversation, but our larger conversation around tech as we talk about you know, adopting kids and adopting kids to tech and like making sure that there's like kids safe things for them to be doing online and through this technology. All of that is commercialized. It's all marketed. It does limit the way that children play. When There is research showing that when kids play with licensed characters or like play out things from TV shows or movies that they're familiar with, uh, it does change the way they play. It makes them less creative. It sort of boxes in their movements. Um, and early childhood should be a time of like full exploration and imagination building. So while on the one hand, it is nice to know that your child is not accidentally going to come across something that's really developmentally inappropriate for them, the actual most developmentally appropriate thing is to give them time away from these devices. And then the question of content on the device is not even a question because you already know that your kid's not there. So I had an experience the other day that I want to share because I think it, it's a good segue to my next question. My wife and I have a son. We have one child. Uh, he's, he's six years old and uh, has a high aptitude, uh, high curiosity, you know, high level of interest in, in a lot of things. And we have not bought him a computer. Other kids in his class, his kindergarten class, had a computer. We haven't bought him a computer. Um, you know, we're sort of very conservative uh, in that fashion. We have Alexa devices throughout the home, but there is not one in his room. They're all in, in shared spaces, you know, the kitchen, uh, living room, whatever. 
And um, so that's sort of how we have done things. We have not bought them an Echo Dot Kids uh, device. Uh, maybe that's uh, the ultimate indictment here. <laughs> uh, I'm not sure. But I will tell you this. He has access to an iPad uh, that, that belongs to my wife. And uh, I have an iPad as well, but I, I haven't let him use mine. My wife has let him use hers. And of course, you know, we're in agreement on that. It's not like that's a rogue thing, but he's been playing this hockey game because he's really into sports and he loves his hockey game on the iPad. And I, I saw him play it. Uh, this is about a week ago. This is pretty fresh. And what did I see but an ad show up on the game during the game uh, you know i guess right after he was done playing like during quarter intermissions or period intermissions or whatever and the ad and this is pretty horrifying was a sniper scope zooming around and eventually centering on a guy and by then i clicked off of it <laughs> oh my gosh yeah yeah and i and i said mason um how often do these ads show up and he's like he said, uh, sometimes. And I just thought, oh, my gosh. And um, and I don't think, you know, I don't know if he even knew, you know, it wasn't that overt, but it was maybe that's just my rationalizing it. I don't really know. Uh, I clicked off it as quickly as I could. I told him, you know, when you see these ads, click off, click off them as quickly as you can. He's like, I do. That is something that just happened in our household. And so that sort of leads me to my next question. If you, um, and, and these are experiences, I mean, this is common, you know, this is not anything or that people aren't dealing with, you know, ads creeping into our lives in ways that we don't become aware of until we do become aware of it and we're horrified by it. If you had to make a decision to get a six-year-old a computer, get a six-year-old a Chromebook um, or some sort of computer that's, that's locked down, you know, it's sanitized and, you know, it, it would have kids protect, you know, kids safe on the box for whatever uh, that means and, and is worth or a Amazon uh, Echo device, be it uh, Echo Dot Kids or some other one um, or some other voice first device, maybe in some other line. If you had to make that decision, comparing one of these Echo Dot Kids devices or a similar device to a computer for kids, which one would you prefer or would you have a clear preference uh, or would you just say none of the above? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, I think that I, so this is something that, right, each, each family, each parent, caregiver has to think about. And we at CCFC try to shy away from telling parents like, you know, do this and more about, you know, like here's like the risks and outcomes of potential things. Um, so, you know, sometimes we obviously do have a harder line. But in this, so for me, thinking about this, I would say the computer. Um, it seems to me that they're, especially at the early stages of voice technology where we are now, um, where so many of the outcomes are unknown, especially for a company like Amazon, um, whose data practices are not, not that great and also not that transparent. Um, so it's hard to say like what specifically could be better or like how things could be handled better where there's just like not that particular trust that I have for that company. So for me, that seems like an easy choice for a computer. And like, I also know how to like give a six-year-old a computer that can't get on the internet. You know, if that's my concern is like inappropriate searches and things like that. Um, but also with a computer, it's much easier to set limits. Free time unlimited on Amazon Echo Dot Kids does offer you times to like turn off the device so your kid can't interact with it um, at times you don't want them to which is a positive step but 
it's still easier to take a device um, out of a bedroom or to like have, it's, it's easier to set limits on like a physical object you can hold in your hand and need to be engaging with one-on-one than it is to set limits on this sort of like almost otherworldly presence of this voice in your home when you're a child. Um, because kids also understand voice assistance differently than adults do, which I think is very interesting. Shari Turkle has very interesting work on this, where kids really see them as like, they experience them as alive and they're friends. Um, you know, maybe you remember being young and seeing someone on TV and thinking that they like lived in the TV. That's a common thing. Um, you know, this is sort of similar. And so when you're thinking about like talking to a kid about technology, it's much easier for them developmentally to like, see like, here's a device that connects you to things versus like, here's a device that's like living in the air somewhere that, you know, her voice comes out of this box, but maybe there's like hidden speakers in different places. It just, it's a fuller experience that I think is more difficult for a child to limit themselves on. That's an interesting point. Uh, and I hadn't necessarily thought in those terms. I think it's, it's going to be really interesting to see how this continues to evolve because right now, you know, we've got voice technology and people sort of associate that with voice only, you know, audio only, you know, these smart speakers where there is no screen, but you know, Amazon's got the Echo Show, Google's got some multimodal devices, having screens paired up with voice technology and, and truly having it be voice first, where you're engaging with the technology with your voice and may not even have to touch the touch screen that's there. And ideally you won't. That, uh, that just opens up even more opportunities for differences in perception and, and children to be influenced by that in different ways. I think that's, that's interesting to, to consider my, my last question for you relates to privacy, and your article addresses two specific concerns. One is the disclosures, a concern with the disclosures or lack thereof. And then the other is, as you characterize, normalizing surveillance. I'm torn by, by what you present. I, I, um, you know, I think every company ought to be striving to be more transparent. So from that standpoint... I wholeheartedly agree to it just from general, generally saying your, your disclosures aren't good enough, you know, keep working to improve them. But I'm not so sure I agree with the surveillance aspect of it. I, I, I agree with it for adults. I think that the devices in general do normalize surveillance, but for children, I'm not so sure your, your standpoint on the echo dot kids is that really uh, there is no situation where a smart speaker of any kind should be in a child's bedroom. Am I correct? I don't want to say there's never a situation because there's always outlier situations, right? Um, and, but I think, yes, I think it's very, especially something um, that is branded and that is connected to a shopping platform, I think is not great for a kid's bedroom, correct? So what I hear is it's sort of, especially with the addition of, of mentioning Amazon being a retailer, there's no possible way that Amazon could release a device, uh, an Echo line device that would be appropriate for children in the bedroom. Yes, it's hard. It's very hard for me to imagine an Amazon branded device or an Amazon device that I would feel comfortable saying this is good for kids or this is even neutral for kids. But, and, and that has to do with Amazon as a company, again, more than it does the idea of a device that you talk into um, or like the voice technology itself. Amazon's voice technology is born out of this system 
where like their ultimate goal is to get you on the Amazon platform, like as much as possible. They want to have a little bit of an arm in everything. Um, and actually this is interesting. One of the biggest home builders in California, uh, just announced that all of their new homes moving forward will be fully Amazon echo equipped. Um, so there'll be like, yeah, speakers and things built in, which I thought was like truly wild. I was like, the future is here. Like I really remember the Disney channel movie smart house from my own childhood. And I'm like, did you guys see this? (laughs) You should watch it. So yes, with an Amazon speaker in particular is troubling. I think that there are voice technology things um, that could be appropriate for children. It's hard for me to imagine what those are, but those are the conversations actually that I'm really interested in having is like, we talk about technology as this sort of inevitable presence in our lives. um, And in some ways, maybe the tech itself is, but is this profit motive always does that always need to be there like does every new technology need to come with you know the trade-off that you're always being surveilled um maybe you saw that google and amazon um some of their patents that they had filed got leaked um and they included things like voice technologies that could like listen to your conversation and then make product recommendations based on that they could listen to hear if you said the word love um They would learn these audio cues to tell if your kid was misbehaving and then scold on your behalf. Um, And so when we know that this is a company's vision for the future, I think giving a child the early stages of the technology, uh, it seems clear that that's benefiting that company more than it's benefiting a child. And it's moving us closer towards their vision of a world instead of our vision, which is one where, you know, kids' needs come before corporate profits. I would dispute that the existence of a, a patent, you know, and maybe several patents might, but, you know, patents, patents can mean one thing. Um, and, and I do agree that um, we've got we to tread lightly. We've got to be cautious. And, and we're really, you're hitting exactly on the billion-dollar question here, which is uh, for our future, which is with voice assistance and voice-first technology, which sits on top of, artificial intelligence and machine learning. We've got decisions to make as a society on how we're going to incorporate that. And I think it's going to be very deeply personal, as you you suggested uh, earlier, because the trade-off is going to be exactly what some of these patents lay out. It's either you're going to open your life up to artificial intelligence or you're not. And there's going to be good arguments either way. Um, if you open your life up to artificial intelligence, of which voice assistants are the, they're the front door to artificial intelligence. You know, these things are all connected. If you open your life up to artificial intelligence and all the things that that will bring, then you're going to have computing that is context heavy, um, that is continuous, that, that understands you and can make your life much more convenient and better. And the trade-off is going to be incredible invasion of privacy. <laughs> In fact, yes. the, the, the word privacy really, it just will change. It's not going to exist. It's not going to be the same as what people associate with that word today. Or you're going to go the other direction and you're going to say, absolutely, will I not do any of that? And I'm going to maintain my status quo sense of privacy And the downside of that is going to be uh, a life where you do not have access to resources, you do not have access to convenience like other parts of society are going to have. 
And that's the rub here. And for children, um, there's going to be different sort of discussions, uh, even more, you know, profound. But um, it's an interesting time that we live in. And my, my last question for you would be, as we wade into these waters um, where we are having this conversation, if you were in front of Amazon's marketing team, since we're talking about the Echo Dot Kids, or if you were in front of a panel of voice-first developers, um, like we're going to have at, say, the Alexa conference in January um, or the Voice of Healthcare Summit uh, in, in August in Boston, um, what would you implore them to do? What, what would be the takeaway from CCFC and the work that y'all are doing to protect children, the, the number one thing that you hope that they do or realize as they're proceeding with their work? Yeah, uh, thank you for this great opportunity to share all of my viewpoints in a great way. Um, so the first thing I would say is that when you're designing voice technologies or really any kind of technology, but especially voice technology that has all these questions about AI and all of these vast unknown outcomes, you know, you really want to make sure that you're designing for humans first, um, for people first, for the needs of humans, and understand that children have different needs than adults. Um, you know, when you design technology that gets adults, like, pulled into their screens or to their voice assistants that keeps them, you know, always coming back, feeling sometimes dependent, but even just, like, this is just part of my life now, um, that's one thing for adults who are fully developed and have the capacity to step back and say, ooh, maybe I need less of this. Maybe I want to start using this in a different way. Maybe I want to be more intentional. When you're designing for children, they don't have those developmental things to be able to check themselves and step back. Um, if you design something that is so fun for kids to play with, if they can just use their voice to play a branded game, you know, that's what they're going to do. And that's great for the brand and it's great for the company that makes the device but is it good for the child who now is not getting the unstructured, creative, free play, face-to-face -face interaction, physical movement, full sensory experience of being alive in the world that is necessary for healthy brain development? Um, because those kids are going to grow into the adults of the future. And that would be my other piece of advice is be forward-looking. You know, what happens to the, even if you're just thinking of them as your future customers, you know, what does it mean to have future customers who didn't have the chance to fully develop in childhood. Like, even if it's great for you to have a child on your product now, because that seems like a good short-term payoff, maybe the better thing is to let kids develop as they are, become fully human, be creative, be insightful. Um, you know, this is what kids learn through play, is how to, how to build things, um, how to participate in our society and in our culture. As your company grows, as your technology develops, you want people who have been engaged and curious their whole lives. Um, and if you're selling technology that cuts kids off at the knees developmentally, you're not going to have that now and you're not going to have that in the future. Many folks have referred to this generation of children coming up now as the voice first generation, a generation of children who will have an expectation of computers being able to respond to their voice. And as a consequence, there's no greater conversation for Voice First FM to host, to have, to entertain, than this right here. Melissa, thank you for the time today. Thank you for your insight. Uh, it's greatly appreciated. Yeah, thank you so much. So glad to be here. Um, and if folks want to 
talk further, if you're working on a project or have thoughts, um, you can definitely reach out to us. Um, you can find my contact information on our website, which is commercialfreechildhood.org. For the Voice First Roundtable, episode 13, June 2018. Thank you for listening. And until next time.